What is up? And welcome back to 24 Minutes of A24, the podcast that takes a look at the A24 library 24 minutes at a time. I'm Ethan Simi, and there's no Ben Lawhorn uh, this week on the pod. And look, since Ben's not here, I'm going to throw him under the bus a little bit. And he did not get to watching the movie this week. So I booted him off the show. And instead, we've got returning guest Brian Sudfield. Uh, Brian, welcome to the pod. Thanks for taking Ben's spot. I'm so glad to have you here. You know what? If there's anyone to replace Ben, I'm happy to be Ben's <laughs> replacement just for the day. I'm very excited to be here again. Thank you for inviting me back on to talk about this very, very, very exciting new film from A24. Absolutely, man. Uh, this week on the show, we are dreaming about crocodiles and talking about zebras and getting ourselves into some really weird uh, sexual situations um, as we talk about the latest A24 movie, Dream Scenario. Um, now this movie is starring Nick Cage and, um, it is interesting. There's a, a lot to talk about. I'm really interested in it real fast before we start, um, talking about the film itself. I have a little bit of housekeeping to do. Um, and I realized that I've broken protocol here with, um, how we do the show because I didn't have the log line for the movie ready. Um, so let me tell you real quick, a hapless family man finds his life turned upside down when millions of strangers suddenly start seeing him in their dreams. When his nighttime appearances take a nightmarish turn, Paul is forced to navigate his newfound stardom. Um, can we do housekeeping real fast, Brian? Are you okay with that before we jump in? Sure. Sure. Of course. Okay. All right. I just have one piece of a 24 thing to talk about now. Um, Oppenheimer is a big deal. People who listen to the show know I love Oppenheimer. Where are you at on Oppenheimer, Brian? It's my number three of the year. All right. I love to see it. I'm glad this is even bigger reason why I'm glad you're on this episode, because you can appreciate this piece of news here. Um, earlier this week, Christopher Nolan came out and praised A24. He said there wasn't a distributor as effective as A24 when I started out who was putting out all kinds of incredible and challenging movies on a very regular basis. They do an amazing job. I think that's pretty cool, to be honest. I think that's I think that's exciting to hear from someone like Christopher Nolan. Oh, absolutely. When I saw the this piece of news float around the internet, I got very excited because, you know, if anyone's opinion matters nowadays, Christopher Nolan's opinion does kind of matter, no, regardless of what people think of him. So for him to come out and praise A24, that's a really exciting thing to see. Absolutely. Um, and I think it's great for A24, too, because uh, Scorsese recently came out and talked about A24 and kind of had some praises for it as well. So um, these big legendary legacy directors are um that are in the spotlight really and and going to continue to be in the spotlight with the oscar season coming up uh are you know singing the praises of a24 i think that's really really exciting and cool stuff um and oppenheimer the 4k disc is just sold out everywhere yeah. did you did you get a copy i haven't been able to get a copy yet wow. to be honest to be honest i haven't gone out shopping sure. these last few weeks and you know I need to go Criterion shopping before the mm. sale ends, so I'm definitely going to try to find it here. Living in New Jersey, I feel like it will be easy to find a copy of Oppenheimer, but we'll have to see. <laughs> we'll have to see. <laughs> you make me nervous. I hope that you don't just jinx yourself, man. I know. I probably <laughs> did, but you know what? It is what it is. Well, um, Ben so graciously went to a couple of Best Buys the morning that it came out in search of the steelbook for me. Um, I, I'm a much bigger fan of the film than Ben is. I also went to a Best Buy. Uh, so he went to his in Salt Lake City. I went to, to mine in Portland. I was one of like four people lined up literally when Best Buy opened to get Oppenheimer, like a complete That's psychopath. Nuts. That's which, nuts. 
It's insane. And they didn't have the steelbook at mine. They didn't have it at either location that Ben went to. And I ended up getting the 4K. I got one of the copies before it, it literally was gone within like a minute of getting there. And I think it's fascinating this like resurgence that Oppenheimer is kind of creating in a physical media world. Mm -hmm. And then to have Christopher Nolan come out and talk about A24, I think that's a very cool link that's happening, you know, socially right now. Absolutely. Absolutely. It's pretty crazy when you think about how physical media has been kind of on the decline these last few years, especially with the pandemic and the rise of streaming. So for the, the fact that this movie, this movie specifically Mm -hmm. is is hard to find a physical copy of that's crazy you would think that maybe barbie could have been difficult to find a physical copy of but you could easily find barbie this though i'm surprised i'm very surprised i'm not surprised at the same time but it is really exciting it gives me somewhat hope for physical media in the coming weeks and years and what have you hopefully this isn't just a phase where it's popular for a certain period of time then it just fizzles out once again Hopefully this is a wake-up call to remind people that physical media is absolutely not dead. And it sounds like Killers of the Flower Moon will be getting a 4K and a Blu-ray release as well. So that's really encouraging to see, and that's mm-hmm. exciting. Of course, I'm, I'm sure both of us are going to try to try to own that. So oh, yeah. I'm, I'm with you. I think this is really good for like the physical media space, and I, I hope that it continues. And even if it was which i don't think it was but if it was like an artificial like shortage that universal created you've you've got to give them props because they knew what they had on their hands with this kind of 4k release and i gotta say i know you don't have it uh and and we're off on an oppenheimer tangent here and we're gonna cover oppenheimer i'm sure during during the oscar season here on the show um so i'll talk about it more then but this 4k um addition this like 4k resolution and and transfer that christopher nolan has overseen is is truly like transcendent to get that type of quality in your home i was freaking out the day that i bought it i actually went to go see napoleon and then Mm. i came home and i had to put my children to bed and then i started oppenheimer probably at like 8 30 or 9 after i had had dinner and i just did like basically the three hour back-to-back films because i was just like i can't wait to watch this until tomorrow i have to watch it right Again, like a psychopath, but I but it felt really good, <laughs> and um, I think it's fantastic. So very cool that Christopher Nolan is praising A twenty four. Um, let's talk about Dream Scenario. This is the newest movie from A twenty four, starring Nick Cage. Um, really cool premise. I think it's I think it's a really fascinating uh, movie, and we'll obviously we'll break it down. Um, would you mind sharing a little bit about how you saw this movie because you saw it before a lot of other people did? Yeah, so I was lucky to attend tiff a few months ago and this was a film that had its world premiere there i was strictly interested with nicholas cage being the lead and the premise i tried going in not knowing really anything and thankfully since there wasn't a trailer out at that point or any footage all there was was mm-hmm. just images that single that letterbox header where it's Nick Cage looking and then the word loser is painted on the car in the background. That was the only piece of anything that was out before I stepped foot into the screen that I went to for this movie at TIFF. And I didn't get to attend the world premiere screen. I tried to, but it's very complicated. If you ever go to TIFF, just be mindful that standing in rush lines, you're either going to get lucky or you're not going to get lucky. Mm. This was unfortunately the time where I got super unlucky after waiting hours upon hours just to get in for this 100-minute long A24 Nicolas Cage film. And then I saw it the following morning at the press screen. And when you go to a press screen at 
a film festival, and I know that you you covered New York, so you mm-hmm. got your fair share of film festival press screens and what have you. But at TIFF, it's definitely more wild and energetic than a New York film festival press screen. This was mobbed. It was at eight o'clock in the morning on a Sunday, and mm. I was surprised that so many people came out to go see this movie. But the night before the screening is when it premiered, and everybody was praising it and celebrating it, calling it one of Nicolas Cage's best performances, one of his best films, a great album from age twenty four. And yeah, I saw the movie at TIFF back in September, and I unfortunately haven't been able to see it again since because. You know, it hasn't come out here in Jersey yet at the time mm. of this recording. Plus, we're just, it's just such a busy time of the year with all the oh, yeah. Oscar contenders and so many films that I haven't seen and everything. But really, I'm just watching the holdovers like 20 times. So <laughs> I um, can't blame you. <laughs> yeah, it's just it's so good. But yeah, I went into the movie not knowing what to expect. And I walked out of it absolutely floored. It was one of my yeah. favorites of the entire festival. I saw nearly 30 films. And this was in okay. my top five of the entire festival. I was wow. really big on this film. Um, there definitely are a few narrative problems with it. It's mm-hmm. not perfect, but I think the concept is so freaking cool, like you were saying at the top. It's a very unique concept brought to life, in my opinion, very beautifully. And Nicolas Cage delivers not only one of the best performances from his career in recent memory, Dare I say it's one of the best performances of his entire career. And at this point, Nicolas Cage is known for delivering these bombastically over-the-top, goofy, ridiculous performances. But every once in a while, he comes around and delivers a more nuanced, laid-back, restrained performance. And yes, there's some over-the-top Nicolas Cage in this movie, but it's more so on the latter of how it's very restrained and laid-back, which I really appreciate because... You know, people are like, oh, Nicolas Cage is such a bad actor, but he's really not. When given the right no. material, he could pump out a great performance. I mean, look at what he did with Pig a few years ago. Right, that was right. an exceptional performance. You could say what you want about the film, and they, it may not be everyone's cup of tea, but that performance was arguably his best performance in a very long time, and this is on the same level of a great Nicolas Cage performance. I was a big, big, big fan of this movie. I really, really loved it. and. It's right outside my top 10 of the year right now. That's how much I love this movie. Wow. I love that. That's that's super cool. Yeah, I you know, you mentioned um going to TIFF and I think that's really cool that you got to see it basically with no context. I do think mm-hmm. that that is a is a really unique experience. Obviously not everybody gets to kind of go into it with that. <clears throat> I had seen a trailer of course, you know, this kind of uh images going around of this movie, but I will say when I went to New York and, um, you know, I only covered, you know, probably, I think it was like 12 movies. It wasn't, it wasn't too many. I wasn't there too long, but I did get to see all of us strangers. Now that movie doesn't come out for uh, about another month. And I had nothing to, I didn't even have, I got to see it before the trailer dropped. So I like, I saw it in the morning trailer came out later that afternoon. And that movie is in my top five of the year. And I think that does say something about, going into a movie with little or no expectations of what you might encounter. And exactly. Dream Scenario <clears throat> really is kind of the perfect movie for that to happen to because you kind of just get to go along with the journey and you get to follow Nick Cage and like kind of his his, his whimsy and his humor, but then it's also, you know, very uh, nuanced and personable performance like within kind of the, the cracks of that. Um, 
Dream Scenario is directed by Christopher Borgley, and I wanted to point that out real fast because I watched his other film from last year called Sick of Myself. I watched that last night, very much in the same vein of this, of like trying a um, very entertaining, over-the-top, exciting narrative structure to basically talk about major thematic elements that are going on in the culture right now. And um, so I think this this director is really cool. So if you're looking for more things like Dream Scenario or, or Sick of Myself, um, these kind of, you know, these kind of go hand in hand. I will say I agree with you on the, the Nick Cage front of things. I do think he is kind of having this really exciting, prominent kind of renaissance that he's going through right now. Like the um, choosing the the right projects in between the paycheck projects. And I think he's been pretty curt about that in the past of like, I had to, I had to pay for things and like, I had to, had to pay for my house and like pay for the things that I owned. And that's what I needed to do. And like, that's totally respectable. Um, and now it seems like he's being able to kind of uh, morph that a little bit into, uh, what might've been towards the beginning of his career of, of choosing certain things. I think he's excellent in this film. I think the the narrative, like you mentioned, does have some issues and I don't think everything works, but I do think it is one of the more entertaining movies of the year. I do think it's one of the more unique movies of the year and one of the more thought provoking movies as well. Like it, it is, um, you know, Oppenheimer, Killers of the Flower Moon. These things are, are, are massive scaling um, epics that have his, that are grounded in, in real life history. Dream Scenario is not. It's just a fun kind of fiction flick. So I think there's something to be said for that as well. We are going to talk about spoilers. So this is kind of your spoiler warning. If you haven't seen Dream Scenario yet and you don't want to be spoiled, uh, go go check it out first. Come back to this episode um, and then listen to our thoughts. Um, because I do think it's a movie that's better to go into unspoiled. Um, I was lucky enough to see this movie at my local theater and I actually saw it with my wife. So Ben knows and listeners know I don't get the chance to see movies with my wife very often because it's, you know, she either has to watch our kids or has to stay home with them while they're sleeping or whatever the case may be. We were kidless for like 24 hours. So we decided to go see this movie. We got popcorn and peanut M&Ms and beer and it truly was just a delightful time at the cinema. Like that sounds so nerdy, but that like this movie is perfect for that. And I think it is actually releasing at a really positive time because it's coming out just before the big award sweep of May, December and Maestro and, and poor things and all of these things coming out within the next two to three weeks. So I think it found this really cool niche spot to, to, to be released. Um, what do you think of Ari Aster as a producer on this film? Ari Aster and A24, they're kind of, they're, they're very synonymous now. And of course he's got his fingerprints on this seems pretty easy to tell what did you think about that you know you could definitely see some stamps of Ari Aster throughout this movie I think there was actually a point where he was supposed to direct this if I'm not mistaken he was actually Mm. like in consideration to direct this film and what have you but I'm I think that you know and this may be a bit of a hot take. I don't know if it is, but okay. this was the better Ari Aster A24 <laughs> film from this year. Sure, I wasn't sure. very I wasn't very high on Bo was afraid. I was actually very disappointed with it. But oh. um you could definitely feel some of Ari Aster's stamps here. And I think this is the first major film that he's producing that obviously isn't a film that he directed. And 
you could I could see it. I could see why he would want to produce something like this. Very surreal, very thought provoking, very mind bending entertainment. I feel like this is the perfect film to produce. And plus, you know, he's had such a great relationship with A twenty four. They distributed all three of his directorial albums so far. So it makes sense why he's attached to this. So mm-hmm. I had no complaints about him behind the camera as a producer. It would have been very interesting to see what he would have done if he had directed this. Yeah. But I, I like that he had his name attached to this. I, I like I, that a lot. I do too. And you can really feel his fingerprints on this. Um, You can really feel his kind of uh, his producer credit. Um kind of steering things behind the scenes a little bit and like figuring out when to maybe dive into, into a darker side or, or a more um, kind of character analytical side of things. And then when to, when to break that up and do something else, this and Bo is afraid are the only two um, yeah, full length films that he has produced. So I think that's really interesting. It does beg the question of like what maybe, in an alternate universe, like what would A24 be with our, without Ari Aster? I, I don't know if that's a conversation for now, but I think it's an important question to ask because they really are starting this. I mean, they have had a relationship, but now that he has produced a film for them, I think it's going to kick off a lot of things because he understands the the quote unquote brand and the energy and the vibe and like what A24 kind of defines itself by. And this movie really does kind of fall into that um bucket and um i think it worked really well for this situation it it is like it's kind of like bo is afraid but it's kind of like the complete opposite because it is all it is essentially based on dreams and it is a much smaller scale um character and thematic like analyzation of what our dreams mean maybe and and i think that's pretty cool um especially for Ari Aster to maybe come down off of Bo is Afraid, um, which I'm I'm definitely due for a rewatch. Have you seen it again, or have you only seen it once? No, I've only seen it the one time. Okay, I'm me not too. sure if I'm ready to go back to it <laughs> anytime soon. Not the three-hour film from this year that I have any desire of rewatching again. Yeah, if I'm going to spend three hours watching a movie, it's, it's probably going to be one of the several other films that right. have come out this year. Um, I... Wanted to talk about, and again, we're in full spoilers, so I did want to talk about kind of like the, the, the cameo, quote-unquote, like the the Nicholas Braun um, yes. showing up in this movie. I was just astounded. I was so happy. I couldn't express to you, like, what that meant to me. I was like, that's, that's Cousin Greg. That's my boy <laughs> on the big screen. We're back in an A24 movie. It just felt right, and I loved every second of it. Yeah, you know, sitting at the press screen for this movie, again, like, nothing had come out about the movie. Mm-hmm. I don't think that any... I'm sure someone had tweeted a spoiler of this cameo <laughs> after the world premiere screen. So naturally, sure. like, you know, I didn't realize that there was going to be a cameo in this. And then, I mean, to be honest, I didn't really look up the cast. The only person that I knew was in this was yeah. Nicolas Cage. Like, I didn't know that Julianne Nicholson was playing his wife, and I didn't know that Michael Sarah at some point was going to come in. But yeah... So the crazy. cameo, of, the the cameo of Nicholas Braun was just so wild to me because obviously Succession just wrapped up a few months ago, so that's still very fresh in my memory as it is probably for a lot of other people. So yeah, seeing man. him in this was very euphoric. It was very surreal seeing him in this, and especially the sequence that they put him in. I'm like, you know what? I think it fits. He, I it think it fits. does. <laughs> it it absolutely fits. It's just like 
it's literally just cousin Greg in some other capacity. But <laughs> yeah, I, I basically was similar to you. My friend who I saw with my friend who was sitting next to me at the press screen, I was just like, oh my fucking God, it's cousin Greg. <laughs> Like, and I literally heard someone in our screen go, Cousin Greg! Yeah, <laughs> I, totally. Like, and I, I wanted to do that, and I was freaking out, and my wife hasn't seen Succession, so I was like, this is a big deal. This is like, come on, we're, we're, this is a big deal. And I do think he is in, like, the, the right part of the movie. I think that's a great cameo. You mentioned yeah. uh, Michael Sarah, Kate Berlant is in this movie, who is in another uh, A24 project uh, recently, a comedy special. So I think there's a lot of, cool little knickknacks about this movie. And that is part of what makes it kind of so fun. Um, let's, let's get into the true cinema. So that way we can maybe talk more about the cameo. We can talk more about Michael Sarah and kind of work our way through this movie. Um, <clears throat> now, if we're being transparent and honest, which, you know, I, we, we will, we both strive to be honest people, um, uh, you know, on or off the pod. It has been, I've, I saw this a week ago, but I've seen a lot of things since then. One of those movies in between seeing this movie and recording this podcast was um, Come and See, the, the, the 1985 war movie. So mm. I'm very consumed with that that I watched. That really took a lot of my brain space to like try to intake that film. And if you haven't right. seen it, I, I, I recommend like seeking that out. It is absolutely one of the most like distraught movies like in existence, probably. Um, you saw this a few months ago. so we're going to use this as an exercise to kind of like recall our memory a little bit and spark what, what we remember about the movie. But I think it'll be a very interesting exercise because it will kind of come to fruition of like what things stuck and maybe what things didn't stick and mm -hmm. what does work and what doesn't work about the film. So we'll start kind of in the, in the very beginning of the film. Um, Nick Cage is a loser. Like he is a, a tenured professor at this university. He's got, nothing um, published. He's got nothing going on in his life. He's kind of just like a, a, a kind of a, a dumb dude, like just a, just a dud of a guy. And we kind of first get introduced to him when he is going to meet someone, another professor really for, for like lunch. And his wife wants him to record the, the conversation. We don't really know where this is headed, but he's kind of confronting this person about maybe like s stealing his idea that, and, and being published with that. Do you remember the ant thing? Like it was a really good pun with ants and I told, and I, and it worked and it was funny and I don't remember the word, but it worked very well. I, I don't <laughs> remember that at all. I, I do remember the scene, but I don't remember yeah. specifically what was said in that scene. No, I know. So I, I like the scene. I think it's a great introduction because it does act a little bit of, of a puzzle piece to try to figure out what is this, who is this guy and, and what is he doing in his life and what's his motives and things. Um, but I wanted to shout out to the the editing, especially the sound editing in this uh, scene is pretty cool because we hear him listening to the recording of the conversation that had just taken place in his in his car. Um, but while we're listening to that audio, we see the the real time conversation happening in the restaurant. And I thought that was a pretty neat, you know, just like a little entertainment hack to try to, like, kind of keep keep the audience on their toes. Um, and he ends up deleting the conversation and things don't really go his way at all. And it really just solidifies this dude is kind of just like kind of, kind of rock bottom. What were your thoughts? Like the first time we see Nick Cage on screen, you think he was good kind of like fulfilling that end of the spectrum of like, this guy is a loser. Oh, a hundred percent. I mean, if there's anyone that could play a loser and a winner really well, yeah. it's, it's, it's him. I mean, 
I just like the look of him too. I mean, yeah. look at the the haircut and the the beard and everything. The I glasses, mean, he, yeah. he the glasses and the outfits. He literally nails down this whole mild manner college biology professor beautifully. I mean, it was a role that was so tailor made for him. And you know, yeah. before how I talked about how Ari Aster was in consideration to direct this. Apparently, when that was the case, Adam Sandler was in consideration for the role. But then, oh, wow. but then Kristoff saw, um, mm-hmm. or no, Ari saw Kristoff's previous film and wanted him to direct this instead. And then Kristoff wanted Nicolas Cage for the role instead. Not that Adam Sandler would have been bad, but like you can't really picture anyone else but Nicolas Cage in this role. And yeah, yeah I mean, he nailed it perfectly. I mean, like I said at the top, like. It's a great performance from him, and just like he nailed the look of the character of what was his yeah. name, Paul. Yeah, Paul, Paul. Paul Matthews. Like he nailed the look of that guy. He really knocked it out of the park. Really average name too. Just like a average just like name. Plain Joe name. Just like a kind of a uh, plain looking guy. Uh, and I do want to back up for just a second because the real kind of like the um this cold open, if you will, that we get is actually a, a dream we see his daughter mm-hmm. kind of start to float and yeah. we're we're snapped out of that dream pretty fast and uh-huh. we kind of enter this um family as family aesthetic going around of you know oh that's weird i didn't do anything to help you why wouldn't i help you and so we are introduced to this dream phenomenon from the from the very very start and what i think is very interesting and we'll kind of walk through this is Every time that he is in somebody's dream, at least until they kind of switch over to nightmares, he is a hapless, helpless stander by, essentially. Mm-hmm. He, he, he is full of inaction. So I'm kind of curious your thoughts, because the more that I think about this and try to process maybe what is being said or translated or communicated about what this means, I think it can fall in like one of two camps. I think like, Maybe he is actually that, and that's how everybody views him, right? Because it is other people's dreams, and so they just recognize a really average guy who would not step in to help or save someone from being attacked by crocodiles. But then the flip side of that, I wonder, too, if that is some projection of of how he views himself, or maybe not even how he views himself, but how he doesn't want to be viewed by other people like that is his kind of his nightmare uh if you will of like because he asked several times like why why am i not helping why am i not doing anything why am i just standing watching these things transpire around me and i think that's a really key question of like do our dreams constitute like who we want to be who we currently are who we might have been in the past like where does that fall in the spectrum i think there's a lot to unpack there but it's pretty fun to think about no, absolutely. It is interesting to pose a question like that because, yeah, throughout the movie, he talks about how he doesn't really want to, like, be a public figure. Like, he talks about that early on yeah. in the movie. Once he starts to learn that everyone is dreaming about him, for better or worse. And it is interesting, too, because some people, I would think the people that have dreamt of him, some of them do actually know who the real Paul is, and they know that he's not exactly the most extroverted outgoing person so yeah him just standing there and not really doing anything just basically being a bystander of like when his daughter floats in the air in the beginning of the movie or when alligators come up or when there's like a whole earthquake or disaster happening in the classroom um it is interesting but then there are people who 
um, hadn't met Paul, who dream of him doing other things, and I'm sure we'll get into those specific dreams later on, but it is interesting to see how, you know, it could be looked at in so many different ways. That's the beautiful thing about this movie. Yeah. You could It leaves the audience interpreting their own feelings about these dreams and the character of Paul and everything else surrounding them, but it's it's a tough question to answer if, like, that's who he really is or if people are just dreaming of him doing that. It's it's hard to say. Yeah, I think that's part of what makes this movie really Ari Aster-coded is, like, that kind of idea and that, that like, quandary of trying to figure out what that does mean. Um, next thing I wanted to talk about, meeting his old girlfriend um, at a show. Him and his wife go to a show. Mm-hmm. He is stopped outside by an old girlfriend and she basically b- breaks it, and this is a very funny scene that it yeah. that it kind of incorporates like this um him and his wife and this ex girlfriend and this weird um uncomfortable animosity kind of between the two women um and like why Paul would give uh, her him his number and like why he would agree to meet her later on and things like this um so I, I think that part really worked of this scene, but he does give her his his number because she tells him like i've been been dreaming about you and that again does open up this interesting conversation with him and his wife of like oh what do you think she's been dreaming about i want to i i want to kind of use this as a segue into a couple of different thoughts my first thought is and this kind of goes into the next scene i didn't have it written down here but when they're talking in bed of um like people dreaming about him and like they're kind of getting a little spicy with each other and I think it's very sweet and hilarious and also completely sad that this really average guy is just trying to spark a flame with his wife and uh-huh. it has to. And the only thing that we know that has gotten him to this point is like other people's dreaming about him. I just think that's really funny. Um, and we are not really given, we are definitely not given a reason as to why this happens. Do you have any thoughts? Like, do you, do you, have you thought about like, oh, I wonder why this happened on a pragmatic level? I kind of just accepted it and I was just like, oh, this is cool. And I think it works narratively, but I think, you know, it's interesting to maybe think about. I'm in the same boat as you. You know, yeah. I, I, I struggled to really figure out why this was even happening in the first place, but you know, throughout the movie, I'm just like, I'm enjoying this. I don't need yeah, any explanation yeah. of why this is happening, what's going down, and what have you. Because I feel like if we were explained what was going on, it would ruin the movie. At least for yeah. me. I I don't need to be spoon-fed everything with movies. And I understand that some people could walk into a movie and be like, I wish they could tell me everything that's going down and what have you. But yeah. I don't think we need answers, especially for a movie like this. Because, again it leaves the audience determining why is this happening? Why is this the person that is flowing around in all these people's dreams? Like why him specifically, Mm -hmm. but in, you know, going echoing off that sequence with uh, his wife, they're trying to have this nice spark and everything. It's a very sweet and intimate scene. And then all of a sudden it's like in the back of, (laughs) in the back of the head, when the ex-girlfriend did come up to him and his wife at the show and everything, I was just sitting back in my seat, just like feeling so bad for uh, um, Julianne Nicholson's character, Janet. I, I was just like, <laughs> I'm like, oh my God, you're just standing there while this ex-girlfriend of your husband is like, I had dreams about you, Paul. It's so uncomfortable. You just, you just keep coming in my dreams. And it's like, 
what do you even say in that moment? How do you react in that moment? Yeah. How would you react if someone came up to your significant other and said, I've been right, dreaming right, right. about you? I, I don't know how I would react. I'd probably flip out. <laughs> yeah, it it is strange to think about for sure. I think if... I just find it incredibly funny that the first thing, and I think he suggests it, but like the first thing he says to her is like, oh, do you think she dreamed about me naked? And it's just like, <laughs> my guy, Paul, we got to tone it down, dude. You got to, let's think about, you got to get strategic about what you're talking to your wife about. You can't just like jump into the deep end here. Um, But I do think like narratively, if we are given why this is happening, we have a much different two and a half hour character study on our hands. This is, it is not a 100 minute Nick Cage romp. Like I, I just, I think it is a completely different film if we tackle those things. Um, next on the list, the dream montage. He realizes he starts to be in everybody's dreams. He's interviewed by the news. He starts to go really viral. He goes to uh, class to give a lecture as we've seen him do uh, prior to this. And there's a ton of people and people. And he's like, he's like, oh, is everybody here for my lecture? And everybody raises their hands, of course, because they want to be there because they're all dreaming about him. And then he can't help himself, which I think is part of what makes him so innocent and kind of cute is like he can't help himself. He loves this allure of being in everybody's dreams and this allure of fame and, and the spotlight for such an average, ordinary guy. And he's like, who dreamed about me? And everybody raises their hands. And he's like, oh, okay, uh, I'll give you five minutes and we can answer some questions. And of course, that, that, that goes on for a probably like a 10-minute montage of like, what did you dream about? What did you dream about? What did you dream about? And this, again, like harkens the point of in every single dream, he was just a passerby and he just stood and watched. I loved this montage. I think we get some really neat visuals. Again, very Ari Aster coded, mm -hmm. but some really cool stuff that continues on what I think is a really nice pace for the movie. We kind of move through things pretty fast. Yeah. And it works. I, I, I like it a lot. Did you have a favorite dream that you can remember? I know, I know we go through like a few of them. I think my favorite would be the blueberry uh, mushrooms. They kind of, they, they're like <laughs> mushrooms that look like blueberry muffins and some guy is like eating them in a field, but also being chased by a blood dripped murderer. And no, you, that, that one would be my favorite. <laughs> that's that, a good that one, right? That would be my favorite. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. You get some really weird ones. I think they, they work really well and it's, it's pretty funny. Um, okay. So that kind of brings us to the end of, of really the first act and things kind of start to start to change. He starts to get much more famous. His life gets much more complicated. And we really start to dive into and tackle this theme of like our modern day fame addiction and this, this overnight sensation, this TikTok viral um, <clears throat> situation that people find themselves in and are striving for on a continuous basis. This is where he meets with a brand, a company named Thoughts, which I thought was great. Some really funny uh, <laughs> blocking and visuals in this, in this scene. This is Michael Sarah and Kate Berlant kind of just cooking to be honest like they're kind of just having fun oh yeah and i thought i thought the scene was a little tedious and a little laborious and went on for a little bit long mm -hmm. but i also understand why we stood with it for so long and they really try hard to pitch him sprite and they're like look if you're in everybody's dreams if we can get everybody to dream about you drinking sprite then people are gonna buy sprite like sprite wants to do a deal with you right 
And again, like I think there's a lot of directions to go in the scene. It's entertaining. It's funny. But it also opens up the conversation of like the true commoditization of every fucking thing in our life and uh-huh. trying to pass that kind of echelon of like reality into dreams. And we'll kind of recircle and retackle that later. But this scene was was great. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. And, you know, while they're trying to pitch him to become a spokesperson for Sprite, mm-hmm. he kind of tries to use this as an opportunity to um, get his book off the ground. Right. Something very important to bring up is that while Paul is a professor, a tenured professor, he's also someone that wants to publish stories. He wants to bring these stories to life. And he tries to use this now that he's a big household name by appearing in everyone's dreams. He wants to use this as a boosting point to get his book off the ground. But really, these PR people are just like, no, we want to use you to sell Sprite. We want you to do this. We want you to do that, which is very fitted because that's how a lot of these PR people are nowadays. Mm. They're so focused on trying to get the product out there. And it's like, you do this for us, but we're not going to do anything for you in return. So it's kind of like that. It's like that kind of scenario. And, you know, Paul's not exactly vibing with that. But in the deep, in the long haul, he's appreciative of the fact that he's this big celebrity and he's capitalizing on his success. But he wants more than just being a spokesperson for Sprite. Although this did make me crave a Sprite right after I saw the movie. <laughs> yes. I'm not I'm not a soda guy. I don't drink soda. I'll admit that right now. But I'm not going to lie when I say that after my press screen for this, it, I did go online and get a Sprite. Yeah, it's, it, isn't uh, that so funny, though? That it's it like, is. It fucking worked. It, they did it. Like, they, they made you want a Sprite, which and I think did. is hilarious. And, and it really works. And, like, I think Michael Sarah is really great in this scene, and he kind of does this, like, reset that he does where he's like, look, I lied to you. I, I haven't dreamed about this meeting. Let's just, like, reset. And he, like, turns around and stares out the window for a very uncomfortable amount of time mm-hmm. for both Paul and the audience to be like, what are we, what are we doing now? Like, are you a weirdo? And like, how are things kind of shaking out? Um, and this, again, this is like another, this is the first time where Paul runs into Molly. And Molly is kind of the secretary um, that's been happening. Played by uh, Dylan Galula, I think is how you say your last name. Mm-hmm. She uh plays um opposite in um shithouse which was my favorite movie of 2020 i, I think mm-hmm. more people need to watch uh shithouse that movie's in, it just uh, dynamite stuff she basically tells him in an elevator right up and then after the meeting on an elevator right down like hey i dreamed about you he she says this going into the meeting and then coming out he kind of pokes and prods a little bit and is like oh you know i hope i hope i you know i hope i didn't do anything crazy in your dreams and she's like Oh, you did, but like in that tone, mm-hmm. and you can tell he's just—he's like, oh, okay, wow, like this, like <laughs> people might be dreaming about me in this very um, interesting sexual way and manner, and this leads into the bar scene. <laughs> so, so much of this movie is uncomfortable and cringy and like unwielding, and the fact that it is that, and I respect it for that, but every moment of this, I was just like. Paul, my guy, you're, you're a family guy. You got two daughters at home. You got to be careful, brother. And like, he even knows it because he's like, oh, we, we are eight. Like we shouldn't be hanging out, huh? Mm-hmm. And she's like, what do you mean by that? And like, 
He really implies a lot. And then she continues to, to describe her dream. Before we talk about that, what did you think of, of his choice to go to the bar with her? I was like, Paul, my brother, my guy, what are you doing, <laughs> my man? You, my my brother in Christ, what <laughs> what are you doing, man? I mean, listen, it, it, like, fine, uh, maybe this will help boost your chances of sure. doing something with the PR company, but like, <laughs> it, just get a drink and then just go go back to your hotel and leave. But yeah, and, and then she reveals the dream. What is the dream, Ethan? What is she, her dream? <laughs> she reveals. Basically that he is standing in a corner of her home in a very menacing manner. Mm-hmm. And she wakes up in the middle of the night and, or, or like when she's going to bed, she gets some water and basically it's kind of this satire of like a, of, you know, like a nightmare and Elm treat situation yeah. um, that she, she plays very satirical, which I appreciate. I thought was quite funny. Um, she's like, Oh, who's there? Please don't murder me. And he comes out of the shadows and basically sits down next to her and grabs her um, in some places and, you know, her hair and continues to very aggressively pursue her um, in, a, in, a, in a consensual situation, mind you. But the way she describes it is basically like, yeah, you made, you, you made me wet. And he, he, at that point, he was just like, whoa, like the, we're dealing with new worlds here that he obviously is not accustomed to based like, on what we like, know about him and his wife. That, that's pretty much the gist of it. And literally, <laughs> as she's describing it, he just randomly yells from the top of his lungs in a very funny way, check, please. Yeah, it's so <laughs> funny. It's so good. Um, I, I really, I really commend Nick Cage for like, bringing his his Nick Cage-ness to this oh, role. absolutely. He goes back to the hotel. He ends up pursuing this and, and living out this scene to the best that he can. This is hysterical. This scene is the, so funny. One of, the, one of the funniest scenes of the entire year for me. One of the, hands down, one of the funniest scenes of the whole year. A million percent agree. And as you get into this serious situation where you are contemplating Paul's decision to potentially ruin what he has fostered in his home and his children mm-hmm. and his, his family life for the allures of this fame, this overnight fame that more people, you know, are, are interested in him and do want him sexually. I think that's a very interesting, um, again, like commentary on, on our culture as well. Um, he tries to replicate this. And when they're about to kiss, I'm pretty sure he just farts and I didn't see it coming. And normally fart jokes don't get me that like, that's just not my kind of humor. Mm-hmm. This, this rocked my world. And it was so funny, dude. It was incredible. Oh my God. It was some of the hardest laughter that I had let out during the entirety of TIFF. It was some of the loudest laughter that I heard during the entirety of the festival. And again, keep in mind, this was at a press screen. So I can't yeah. imagine what it was like watching this <laughs> with a, public audience and everything yeah it's so funny because like you i'm also not a big fart joke guy like it's just not my favorite thing low humor it it is and (laughs) it's so funny having gone from this and then the movie i saw directly after this minutes after i got out of this was the holdovers which also had a funny fart fart joke joke, yeah incredible and so it's like going from one fart joke to another but no this scene i mean the entire time i was just squirming in my seat i'm like very leave, squirmy. Leave, yeah. leave, get out, leave, go away, and, go home, get out. And, he has and so then, many chances. And then he I'm can like, do it no, at any moment. no, 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 no. And yeah. then, 
it, it's like perfect timing. Oh, I like I'm just sitting there, just like my yeah. hands over my mouth and my my fists are clean, and then the fart happened, and I just. I had to um, hold my hand on my chest from how hard I was laughing in that moment. I think it's really funny too, because like I can see, and I think this might be part of like this average Joe situation of like, if I put myself in Paul's shoes, I unfortunately do the same thing. Like I, I, I fart. And then I'm pretty sure after this, she goes to like unzip his pants and doesn't do anything. And he and she's like, did you just come? And he's like, yeah, I got to go. And like <laughs> nothing happens. But for a guy in this situation, it's totally reasonable and understandable that he has kind of pressure cookered this this idea and this situation of what might mm-hmm. be happening. Um, really, really funny stuff. Dreams kind of deteriorates into nightmares and, and, and we get a lot of interesting commentary again. I'm like. We don't know why this is happening. Is it is it this this poisonous virality uh, of his life now that what we see things kind of start to decimate a little bit. His wife loses out on some job opportunities, kind of gets cancel cultured and things like that. Then we get this big dream band commercial. And this is where cousin Greg comes in. Um did did this work for you? Cuz it's a really hard satirical cut. To like a product that allows t- essentially TikTok influencers to be in your dreams and sell you products in your dreams. You know, when I saw the movie and this came up, it definitely was very jarring in the moment. Mm. It definitely caught me off guard. I wasn't exactly sure where the scene was going and how long it was going to go on and what have you. But I thought... Again, with how the times are nowadays with social media influencers and what have you and the rise of them, I think it kind of worked for what was – I thought it worked. And, yeah. you know, it could have been a scene that easily went downhill. And I remember after my press screen, some people had walked out after the movie ended talking about how they weren't exactly fond with how the movie incorporated the scene in the midst sure. of everything. But I dug it. It was definitely a very bold thing to incorporate into the movie but the way that they found a way of tackling you know cancel culture and um all these other themes i thought it fit for what the movie was trying to convey and it's interesting too because you know before that entire thing happens you know you bring up how the dreams start turning into nightmares why are they turning into nightmares Mm -hmm. we have no idea it is coincidental after he tried to do what he did with the assistant and then that all fumbled, and then all of a sudden, the dreams start deteriorating into nightmares. And then, like you said, his wife is losing job opportunities, and people are afraid to be around him. No one's showing up to his class. Yeah. His boss says, you may have to step away from work for a while. The word loser is painted on his car, and it's honestly a very heartbreaking scene. Like That's something very important to bring up, too, because I thought this was going to be the over-the-top outburst moment that we always get in a Nicolas Cage movie, at least one of them. But this yeah. was like a genuinely devastating scene because Paul, throughout the movie, comes off as a very down-to-earth guy, even though he was about to do something that was bad by essentially cheating on his wife. You could tell that he is innocent and he's a genuinely down to earth dude. And just to see this downfall of him was yeah. so devastating to witness. And yeah, but you know, not to let like, change the subject too much and go to that specific uh, scene. 
I liked it a lot. I thought it was a very, very strong addition to the movie, and yeah. I can understand it being a situation where people watch the movie and aren't exactly enamored by this scene, but I thought it fit very well within this movie. Yeah, again, like, I know I said it, but Ari Aster coded to just do, like, a hard smash cut to a completely satirical product placement mm-hmm. uh, of a product that doesn't exist, which I think is funny as well, yeah. um, and tackle things like like cancel culture and you know, commoditization and the um, kind of fame culture and fame addiction that a lot of people have. And I think Cousin Greg works great. Uh, Nicholas Braun is great in this movie. He, he previously in an A24 film, Zola, uh, and he's great in that movie as well. And I will say, like, we got out of this movie, and I think the consensus between my wife and I was like, that was, that was pretty good. Like, that was just a pretty, that was a fun movie. It was, it was good. I don't think it was like fantastic. I don't think it's like my personal top 10 of the year, but I liked it. I had a good time. And so, and I bring this up because she then proceeded to be like, yeah, I didn't really like the dream band commercial. I think other than that, we were pretty good. And I was like, ah, I think that was like the most important part of the movie. I think that, I I think that was like the thematic tie in of like what we're doing. Even though it might seem a little heavy handed, I do think it works um, ultimately. And then we kind of get this, you know, the end of the final act, if you will, of, of Paul's life is, is now different. He's been canceled. Uh, people have stopped dreaming about him. And um, of course things happen in between there. We're not going to go into, you know, into uh, too much nitty gritty. Um, but I think this at the very end is where we get the most sincere moments that did leave me wanting more of a character study of Paul right. Matthews himself of like, Oh, I, I love this. I, I want to dive deeper into this. And again, like mm-hmm. I recognize that would be a different film and a different movie and yeah. a different narrative structure, but we get to see the materialization of a dream that him and his wife had kind of talked about prior in the movie of him donning the David Byrne big suit um, that we've seen previously this year in another A24 film and the remastering of Stop Making Sense, which is insane that they would have two movies out in the same year about oh that. Oh, my God. I know. But I know. And it was a it treat works. walking into this movie, not knowing that this was going to happen. Yeah, I had not, no clue. Like, there was no trailer out. Like I said, the only image was that shot of him just looking around at his car set loser painted on top of it. And walking into the movie and then just hearing about how she would dream of Paul in the David Byrne giant suit. I'm like, Oh my God, where are the odds? Because literally the following day they showed the IMAX reservation of stop making sense with a Q and a with all four talking heads, the hardest ticket to get at the festival could not get one myself. I can imagine. Um, but it was just so wild. Then so funny to end the movie with him in the suit. Yep. I mean, it was so great, and like you said, it was a genuinely sincere moment because throughout the last third of the movie, the last, like, I would say 45 minutes of the movie, it was pretty intense. The comedy was really starting to fade away, started getting yeah. a lot more serious, but then you get this whole final act where he's been canceled and he's trying to sell his book, and they changed the title without telling him, too, which mm, is a, right, a right. really messed up. He wanted to call it Dream Scenario. But then they retitled it, I Am Your Nightmare, without his consent. 
and it's like, oh my god! And then another great do- meta commentary on yeah, like, and what then he happens. was doing, that, and then he was doing that photo shoot where he looks like Freddy Krueger, yeah, which yeah, was yeah. a nice touch as well. But that whole sequence where you know he kind of bids farewell to uh, Janet, and you know, like he's he obviously still loves her more than anything, and she has moved on. Yeah, but you get him using this dream travel tech to venture into one of her dreams. And he saves her life while wearing that suit. And it's just a beautiful note to conclude this movie. And he basically talks about how he wishes the dream was real. And then he floats away. Then the movie ends. That's it. It's such a sweet and sad ending. And I, and I will, I'll, I'll, um, I'll do my true cinema moment real quick because we're kind of circling it a little bit. And it's in between kind of these, it's sandwiched in, in between of what we kind of just talked about. He goes to the house that Janet and his daughters live in now and kind of drops off his daughters. And we realize they're kind of separated and they're working on things. And he doesn't live there anymore. He says that he's going to be kind of um, doing, I, I think he says he's going to be in Paris for like a week or 10 yeah. days, something to that effect. He talks to Janet and basically has this very heartfelt moment with her of trying to un- trying to unearth and understand where things might have gone wrong. And, and, and really, he is at the core of, of that and what might have happened to that. We get this like, and this happens in Sick of Myself as well. So if you were a fan of this moment, that, that, that movie is full of them. We get this very drawing moment of him talking to Janet and basically resolving some issues, hugging her. He, she tells him like, you know, I something to the fact of, you know, I love you and I'm so glad you're in my life and these things. And then we get a, we get like a smash cut to realize that that was not happening. That is what Paul had wanted to happen or Janet had wanted to happen. And things were not actually turning out that way. And then we kind of get the, the dissolution of that scene in the reality I think that very minuscule moment and that little nugget of like, God damn it, this is what it could have been. And you could have saved this. And even it was even possible to save it right then. If, if you would maybe just have the balls to be a little bit more than an average guy that you have reverted kind of back into being, you could have saved your marriage. And, And I think that is, is right up my alley. And that is like totally for me. So that's my favorite part of the movie. But then to see that play out in the dream is also really, nice like kind of piece do you have a true cinema moment you want to share you know what i i really think it might be the ending i really think that that might be my favorite moment of the entire movie yeah there were so many moments throughout the movie where i laughed and had a great time watching and everything but i really appreciate how this took such a drastic turn and became a more intimate raw film and very depressing and um I really just think that this ending is a beautiful bow on top to, um, you know, wrap up the movie. And I'm not going to lie, throughout the whole movie, I was thinking to myself, I'm like, oh, I'm just going to laugh the entire time. I'm sure I'm going to be on the edge of my seat. But, like, I didn't think that I was going to get teary-eyed. And the ending just, like, really hit me a lot harder because, Again, like the movie started and he's just a normal down on his luck guy who, you know, has a family who loves him and supports him and everything. And he has this run of the mill job and then he becomes a household name, instant celebrity. And then that's all plummeted. Not only is his celebrity status plummeted, his entire life is plummeted. And 
you just want to just jump on screen and be like, oh, Paul, man. Like, yeah. <laughs> like you just want to give him a hug. You just feel so yeah. bad for him. But yeah, the ending is definitely my true cinema moment. I, it's one of my favorite endings of the entire year. And yeah. it's one that I haven't stopped thinking about since I saw it at TIFF almost three months ago. Yeah, And the day where I get to hopefully see it again, hopefully soon, I can't wait to watch this ending over and over again because it really just... It just hit me in the feels, Ethan. It really yeah. got to me. It's it is good, and I will say, like visually, Nick Cage in the David Byrne suit is good. Is good oh, stuff. Yeah. Like that oh, is yeah. re- it is funny, but it it is also really sad and like just really um just kind of a bummer to see like what ended up happening to him. Um, okay, we have two A one acts we're gonna do. Of course, we're gonna do Nick Cage. I don't think we've had the pleasure of having him in an A twenty four film before, so this will be the first time. I've got a long list that I'll go through. It's not everything, um, but I'll, I'll quickly roll through that. And then we're going to do movies about dreams as well. We have a much shorter list for that. Um, but Brian, feel free to go off list. You don't have to pick an A1 act that is on the, on the long list or the short list here. Um, but here's what we've got for, for Nick Cage. Of course, dream scenario. We kind of just talked about uh, face off con air, national treasure, fast times at Ridgemont high. Peggy Sue got married, raising Arizona moonstruck, Wild at Heart, Red Rock West, Leaving Las Vegas, The Rock, Snake Eyes, 8mm, Bringing Out the Dead, Gone in 60 Seconds, The Family Man, Adaptation, Matchstick Men, Lord of War, The Weatherman, The Wicker Man, Ghost Rider, Grindhouse, uh, National Treasure Book of Secrets, Kick-Ass, The Crudes, Mandy, Spider-Man Into the Spider-Verse, Prisoners of the Ghostland, Willy's Wonderland, Pig, we mentioned earlier on the show, the unbearable weight of massive talent and Renfield. That's what I wanted to put on kind of the, the Nick Cage uh, short list, long list, if you will. What is your favorite Nick Cage movie performance? What are you going to pick? So I'm going to actually pick Matchstick Men, which is a criminally underrated entry oh, in Nicolas yeah. Cage's filmography. It's also I a agree. very criminally underrated Ridley Scott, Ridley Scott film. Movie, it's it's, it's sure. not the it's not the kind of film that you would expect Ridley Scott to direct. Um, you know, we're in the period where Ridley Scott has a new movie out in theaters right now, and if mm-hmm. anyone out there is interested in checking out some of his more smaller titles, this is one that definitely needs a shout out. It's very hilarious. I mean, it, Nicolas Cage. I mean, this he has his outburst in this movie, and it's pretty fantastic. But it's also like a great father daughter movie too about yeah. con artists and you know one of my favorite films of all time actually my favorite film in ethan knows this is catch me if you can which also follows <laughs> a father and a child you know dealing con artist yeah. stuff and what have you so the fact that there's another one out there it's it's pretty great now magic man is awesome but you know close second for me would honestly be adaptation which i think is the yeah. best performance that nicholas cage has ever done um, it's kind of criminal that he didn't win an Oscar for this, but it is, yeah. Uh, especially considering that he played two characters and everything, and that's a hard thing to pull off. Um, but yeah, Matchstick yeah. Man definitely needs way more attention, and it's crazy. It's a twenty-year-old movie. It doesn't even. It's crazy that it's twenty years old this year. Like it's Ma- absolutely nuts. Yeah, Matchstick Man, I believe, is on the Criterion Channel right now. So if you it have, is. if you have the Criterion Channel, you can watch it. They kind of have a con artist um, little theme package going on. Um, with Matchstick Men in there. And I watched the trailer for their kind of con artist, um, you know, theme last night. And I was like, ooh, Matchstick Men, there's a movie I haven't seen in a while that's really good. So, yeah, I, I might revisit that. I like Matchstick Men. I think that's a great call out for sure. Yeah. Um, 
personally enjoy that far more than Napoleon. I don't know how you feel about Napoleon. Oh, 100%. But it is, yeah, it is really good. Adaptation, you, you talked about, and I totally agree with you. I think it's, I think it is his best movie probably, um, at least like kind of peak cage before we started to get into this, this renaissance. Um, uh-huh. I, I would have to go with, and I know he's got like a lot of things in there and he's got such an inter- interesting kind of career, but I love pig. I think he yeah. is so different in pig and I think he works hard to, to do that and to do it successfully Yeah, that something clicks about that movie and something is special that he is able to kind of tap into that he doesn't get the chance to do with Willie's Wonderland or like the unbearable way to massive talent. Like some of these newer movies just don't see him in that role. Um, and with that kind of energy. So, um, yeah, highly, highly recommend pig for sure. Uh, movies about dreams, of course, dream scenario. And, uh, and, th- and this is a short list. So we're, I'm sure we're leaving off a, a lot of, you know, potential picks out there. A nightmare on Elm street, inception, dreamscape the wizard of oz last night in soho the cell the science of sleep and then i put vanilla sky and eyes wide shut because they're they're kind of dream adjacent they're not like dream scenario version but they are pretty um close i'll let you go first again brian because i gotta i gotta figure out what i'm going with to be honest with you <laughs> yeah this is a very tough subgenre to figure out what your favorite it is, of yeah. it is but if I'm being honest, my favorite film in this list that you put is The Wizard of Oz, because, uh-huh. I mean, it's The Wizard of Oz. What can you say that hasn't been said already? It's one of the most influential films of all time, and it's one of the best films ever made. And it's funny because I've always loved this movie, but when I got older, I was worried that I wasn't going to appreciate this movie as much when I got older, because I was thinking to myself, yeah. oh, it's just a movie for kids. It's just a family movie, but... It's one of those situations where my appreciation grew exponentially the more I watched it, even as an adult. I like it way more now as someone in their mid-20s mm. than I did when I watched it when I was like eight years old. Granted, I was petrified watching <laughs> this when I was a kid. And sure. I would always and I don't know. I just think that when you think of movies about dreams and everything that's like a go-to one. And I really think that that's the quintessential movie about dreams. It may not be the one people think about the most, but it's, yeah, I think it's the one for me. I think probably the, the one that I would assume people think of the most is inception. I think that's like yeah. the most dream dream core, like movie right. you could, you could put on this list. And I do yeah. love inception. I, now I don't think this is a great movie. It might not even be a good movie, but I fucking love this movie. I'm going with Vanilla Sky. And again, like this is dream adjacent a little bit, like, you know, another life and like this kind of like um, reality and sub reality and these other Mm -hmm. as, you know, sub aspects of of what kind of pieces this movie together. Yeah. I think Tom Cruise is is quite good in this movie. And I think it is just, and and I know it's an adaptation um, from a, uh, or like a remake of another, of a foreign film but I think it's like just weird enough. And like Cameron Diaz is is just bad enough. And like Tom Cruise is just hot enough. And like Penelope Cruz is just hot enough. And like the, the Paul McCartney song is just good enough. Like, I just think all the pieces work really well for me. And that's probably a hot take to be like, Oh, I love vanilla sky. Cause it's like a very average film. Uh, and it's very flawed, but in the context of like movies about dreams, this is definitely like 
without a doubt my pick. Um, I love Vanilla Sky. I watched it as a young as a young gun, and it's stuck with me ever since. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Vanilla Sky is a very interesting one for sure. It's one that I haven't seen in a very hot minute, but yeah. I do remember that when I did watch it, I was just so perplexed by what I had just watched and everything. It's so weird. Like, it's so weird. It's so bizarre. <laughs> yeah. And this was Cameron Crowe's follow-up to um, Almost Famous, so it's very interesting. Oh, that interesting. Okay, from, yeah. From this to that, and um, a scene that will always haunt me till the end of the time, and I think it's in this movie, if I'm not mistaken, is the sequence where Tom Cruise is walking around New York saying Times Square is just empty. It's, it's empty. Sick. yeah. And, awesome. and just hearing about how they shot, they had a whole day to shoot that scene. Mm-hmm. Like, imagine Times Square is just shut down. Like, that's the most populated part of New York City. I, did, I just don't think and, you can make a movie like that uh, anymore. Oh, absolutely not. Like, the perfect time to make a movie where you go to Times Square where it's empty was during COVID, where nobody yeah. was in the city. <laughs> right. Yeah. I mean, it is the classic, like, they don't make them like they used to. Uh, okay, A24 ranking, and then we'll we'll get out of here. You can choose... A through F, 24, you can add a plus, you can add a minus. What would you give Dream Scenario? I'm going to go A24 on this one. I was, I was very, very positive on this one. I really, really loved it. Like I said at the top, I had a few narrative issues with it. And I agree with you, Ethan. I definitely would have liked a little bit more time on this movie. Not that I don't appreciate a short runtime like this. Sure. This was a pretty short film and everything, and it flew by. It went by very quickly. Not ounce of fat to be found, but I would have liked maybe just 10, 15, maybe 20 minutes more. Hell, I would have been fine if this was a little over two hours. I would have been fine with it. I was already so into the movie at that point, but mm-hmm. yeah, um, one of my favorites of the year. Again, it's not in my top 10 of the year. It's right outside my top 10 of the year, and a24 has had quite a few strong contenders this year in terms of like great films, but this would probably be in my top five A24 films of the year, and it's okay. right outside my top 10. I really enjoyed this. So, yeah, A24 for me. I love that. I love that for you. And, um, you know, I don't think you're wrong at all. I think there's a lot of like merit to this movie. I do think it spreads a little thin. Like, I think it tries to talk about a lot of things, and it does move on quickly. I think that is. One of its bigger faults is that it does move so quickly and so fast, like through what we're maybe identifying and trying to figure out. Uh, but again, like this is not a character study. This is not a, uh, you know, a very intense, in-depth um, kind of story about that. So I think for what it is, it is it is very good and entertaining. I, I'm going to go with a, uh, just a solid B24. I think it's, I think it's, really good. I don't think it's fantastic. Um, but I do see myself wanting to revisit this and like when I own it and when eventually, you know, hopefully it'll come out on physical media to kind of get, you know, come full circle. Like I will pop it in. I will totally watch it. I think the short runtime is a big benefit in that idea. Uh, and I think there's a lot of things to like about this movie. Um, and I just think it's a good, like, I just think it's a great addition to the 24 catalog. I don't know if you, you know, can really reach the heights of, of maybe what their A plus material is anymore. I think it takes a lot to get there. And we might even be kind of graduating, like, past that, moving past that season of, of A24. But I think for what it is, it, it is good. And, you know, I think it's a big year for A24, right? Like, Bo's Afraid, Past Lives, Dream Scenario. Uh, I think there's a lot of cool stuff out there that is pretty big. And like, again, 
I think this is coming out at, at the right time. I'd be very curious to see what this does box office once it goes wide and hopefully hits 2,500 screens or 3,000 screens nationwide. Uh, but I do think it's a really good movie to enjoy. Um, next week on the show, we're going to be back talking about The Curse. We talked about the very first episode of The Curse a few weeks ago. When we come back next week, we're going to be talking about episodes two through five. Now, we kind of did the same structure with um, a show called Irma Vep, and that is on Max, and that is an excellent A24 show. If you're looking for something a little bit more obscure, a, a foreign show as well. Um, so we'll do episodes two through five of The Curse. That means that episode next week will actually be dropping on a Saturday instead of a Friday because um, Ben and I are just average Joes, just, you know, your average Paul Matthews over here that has to watch The Curse just the same as everybody else. So um, we'll be watching The Curse on Friday. We'll record on Friday. We'll get the episode out on Saturday. Um, Brian, I want to thank you for coming in, stepping in for Ben. Big shoes to fill. Uh, Big, big shoes, succession style. But I appreciate you, and uh, I love talking to you, man. I I can't wait to have you back on the show um, and any future endeavors that we, we might share together. Um, thanks for being here, man. Oh, absolutely. Thank you so much for having me, Ethan. Such a blast getting to talk about this movie with you tonight. Of course, dude. Uh, yeah, and I look forward to having you back. What are your thoughts on Dream Scenario? Let us know on Twitter or Instagram. We're at 24 Minutes of A24. You can subscribe to our YouTube channel so you can actually watch our conversation um, on, on the big screen or on the little screen or on the tablet screen, wherever you want to, you know, watch your YouTube. You can also support the show by becoming a uh, Patreon member. We are covering Ridley Scott movies right now. And we actually, um, just released an episode about house of Gucci. Where are you at on house of Gucci, Brian? I'm very mixed on it. It's entertaining, but you know, man, I didn't want to end the note on the end the pod on a sour note, but look, here we are. <laughs> I, I love House of Gucci, man. You um, know, it's it's. There's a lot of great moments to it. Not gonna lie, you know, the why cousin why is extraordinary. But you know, I, I don't know. I don't. I don't hate it like some people do, but I don't love it either. I've had no desire for going back to watch it. When I saw it in the theater, okay. I was like, damn, this is pretty entertaining, but no desire of going back to it. That's fair. Well, Ben and I talk about the House of Gucci in uh, in 24 minutes, and um, we've we've got some thoughts, and so that's definitely worth checking out. We're going to be talking about Napoleon next week on the Patreon, and then we're tackling Michael Mann. Um, so be sure to go check that out and support um, the show. Uh, Brian, thanks again for being on the pod. I am Ethan Simi. Spring break forever, bitches. Bye.